morning again. Uh, this morning we began a brand new sermon series uh, titled The Last Things. Uh, so over the next four weeks in the month of January, we're going to be thinking about the subjects of death, judgment, heaven and hell. Okay, you all up for that? Yeah. Uh, in that time, we're going to be looking together at a number of different passages um, that highlight these areas. Uh, and these are areas which in reality, as followers of Jesus, uh, they're so important for us to understand uh, and come to terms with. And so often we can just assume we know um, what these subjects are about. Um, but I think it's just so important for us as we begin this new year to be very intentional about understanding what God's Word says uh, around these subjects. Uh, so this morning as we begin this series, we're going to take our time to look at the subject of death. Okay. Um, so let's begin by focusing on Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses. Uh, this is very much a psalm that underlines so much of what we're going to look at today. Uh, and as we journey through this series, um, overall, this, this series won't be our traditional focusing primarily on one text, which is what we so often do. Um, we will be looking at a number of different passages, which I hope will aid us in understanding the particular topic that we're going to look at. So Psalm 90, I'm reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. The words are going to be up on the screen for us. Uh, so Moses uh, writes this, Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity you are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, Return, descendants of Adam. For in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You end their lives, they sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins and the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love, so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Amen. Let's just take a moment to pray. So Father, we, we recognize uh, that we need your help uh, this morning. We're looking at a difficult subject, but we know that you are with us. And we know that you want to, to teach us and to encourage us. And we pray, Lord, that you would take this word and that your word would, would work deep inside our hearts and bring about truths and realities that perhaps we were unaware of. Or you would remind us of something that perhaps we've forgotten about. 
Lord, take this word and use it and work in us so that you may be glorified and in fruits. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm under no illusions this morning, and I will be under no illusion throughout this month, uh, that what we're going to look at will not be easy for us. Um, that's probably a good enough reason for why it is we should look at what we're going to look at. Um, if we were to be honest this morning, as fallen men and women, we're addicted to comfort. Uh, we love to cut corners. There's nothing within us, within our natural state, that we'd intentionally choose to focus uh, on these subjects, which are often regarded as uncomfortable and difficult. And so it goes without saying, these subjects of death, judgment, hell, even heaven, are not easy to think about and talk about. They are not the go-to subjects of conversation that we might have with other people. And that goes for conversations with both believers and non-believers. Um, we're saturated in a world, we're governed by a culture and a society that only ever thinks about the here and now. And it's our comfort that drives that focus uh, on the present day. But the reality is, it's absolute folly for you and for me to only ever think about right now, the right now circumstances of our lives. The truth that you and I can never forget is that everything comes to an end eventually. We know this deep down to be true. Nothing ever lasts in its current state or form. Your destiny one day is to no longer be alive on this planet. So surely you should take some time to think about that, to reflect upon that, to understand what will happen beyond this life and in the life to come. In this series, we're thinking about the last things, and this is not to be misunderstood with a study on the last days of human history. In other words, a study on how it is this world in its present form is going to end. The last things historically within the church has carried these two different definitions. So one speaking of how this world is going to end, and the other focusing on what happens when we individually die. And for the purpose of a sermon series, aside from our week on judgment, our focus will be on the latter of these, which I hope would be obvious as we see the areas that we're going to look at together, heaven, hell, and this morning's focus, death. It's maybe a Scottish thing, but any time the subject of death is brought up in conversation. There's always, there's always, always, always someone who says, let's move on. Let's not be so morbid. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about the weather. I've lost count the number of times in my life when the topic of death has been brought up and it's been quickly shut down. This is what we do, but this is not, this is not what the Bible does. Psalm 90 is a clear example of one of, one of many chapters and passages in the Bible that want us to have an accurate and sober understanding of the reality of death for each one of us. So from this psalm and from other parts of scripture, what we see is that, from, is that Moses was a man who was accustomed to death. He was someone who witnessed death on a regular basis. But this was not what defined his outlook on life. He understood death through the lens of his relationship with Yahweh. Everything about death made sense and was not overwhelming to him. When he recognized all that Yahweh was to him and all that Yahweh had done for him, 
So when you read verse 3 of Psalm 90, you see how honest Moses is about God and life and death. If we just go back to verse 3, Jeremy, uh, Moses says, you return mankind to the dust. So Moses has an accurate picture of what life is all about. Then in verses 5 to 6, we also read these words from Moses. Speaking of all of humanity, you end their lives, they sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening it withers and dries up. And then take stock of these frank and honest words in verse 9. Moses again says, For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Finally, verse 10. Our lives last 70 years. Or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Now, honestly today, in Scotland, in 2022, who talks like that? Who talks like that ever? Even more convicting for you and for me, who do you know who prays like that? If we're being honest this morning, very few will talk like that and very few of us will pray like that because we're so immersed in our own culture rather than the culture we find in the Word of God. And as we think about this subject of death, this example in Psalm 90 is one of many, many different examples that we could have taken and focused on this morning. And what we're going to do this morning is take some time to look together at two questions around this subject of death. And these two questions, in many regards, follow the pattern of Psalm 90. So let's begin by asking the first of these questions as we come to terms with this important subject. First question is, what is death? What is death? Seems like an obvious question for us to ask this morning. And we all kind of know the answer to that question to some degree. Such an important question for us to ask this morning, and yet it's a question that we can so often overlook. What is death? What is death? For us to have a comprehensive answer to this question, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 3. This is where it all begins. And we have to come to terms with what happened at the very beginning with our very first ancestors. God created Adam and Eve. He made them in perfect union with their creator. God poured his love into them and they responded with wholehearted love towards God. And at some point within this life journey, Adam and Eve's response to the goodness and grace of God in their lives was to listen to the lie that God was not enough. That to have the fullest expression of life, they needed God plus. They needed more than God. They needed something else. Ultimately, they wanted a purpose to their life aside from God. And so they rebelled and rejected the one who had given them absolutely everything. Adam and Eve were therefore the first ever sinners in the history of all humanity. And God had to deal with this problem of sin. As a holy God, he had to righteously judge his creation because of this rebellion. So a curse was placed on all humanity. And it's a curse that we still feel the effects of today. So Genesis 3.19, God speaks to Adam and he says these words, which have echoed into all of humanity right up until today. God says this to Adam, you'll eat the bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you are taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. For you are dust and you will return to dust. 
what is God doing here? But underlining to Adam that his own sin has the severest of consequences. That Adam and every single person after Adam and Eve would one day die, they will return to dust because of their sin. So this is what we need to understand as we come to terms with this subject of death. Death is a, a physical and a spiritual consequence of a, of a physical and spiritual reality that took place way back in Genesis 3. And this sin-death pattern has been replicated in every single human heart ever since that moment in Genesis 3. So the shadow of death is everywhere around us and we see its effects every single day. We may not witness it every day, but without question, we see the trajectory that leads to death every day. To give you a number of examples, all of us suffer. Every single one of us suffers. Some of you might be suffering today. All of us are the oldest we have ever been. All of us think, say, and do in ways that lead to decay. There are three funeral directors in Denison today, and they exist because all of us sin. And because all of us sin, all of us will one day die. So this is why the Apostle Paul is so clear when he states in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And this is also why when writing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul underlines for us, death came through a man. And just as in Adam, all die, not some, all die. So death is the unavoidable consequence of a humanity that cannot help but sin. We cannot help but do it. We all know this to be true. We look at our lives day after day and we can probably list all of the ways in which we've rebelled against God. And it's not just that death is such a definite reality around us. There's a strong emotional impact around death too. Of course there is. Death and the ripple effects of it can be one of the most trying and most difficult experiences of our lives. When the people we love are taken from us, how difficult is that? And particularly if it comes unexpectedly, and how much time we need to recover from the death of loved ones. Sometimes we never recover. All of which strangely makes sense to us. We all know deep down that dying and death were not part of God's original plan. Whoever we are, whatever we believe, deep down we all know that death is not natural. If we honestly search our hearts, we can recognize this morning, it was never meant to be like this. We all know that deep down. Norman McCaig uh, was a famous Scottish poet. 1990, he wrote a poem called Visiting Hour. It's a poetic account of his wife in a hospital uh, dying of cancer. And in many regards, it's a poem of despair. Uh, McCaig actually died six years after this poem was written. Um, and he does not know, McCaig did not know how to process the fact that he was about to lose his wife. So he struggles to comprehend that he is, he was staring death right in the face. And he has no answers to these questions that he carries. Let me just share this poem with you. So Norman McCaig, visiting our, the hospital smell combs my nostrils as they go bobbing along green and yellow corridors. What seems a corpse is trundled into a lift and vanishes heavenward. I will not feel, I will not feel until I have to. 
Nurses walk lightly, swiftly, here and up and down and there, their slender waists miraculously carrying their burden of so much pain, so many deaths, their eyes still clear after so many farewells. Ward 7, she lies in a white cave of forgetfulness. A withered hand trembles on its stalk. Eyes move behind eyelids too heavy to raise. Into an arm wasted of color, a glass fang is fixed, not guzzling but giving. And between her and me, distance shrinks till there is none left. But the distance of pain that neither she nor I can cross. She smiles a little at this black figure in her white cave, who clumsily rises and the round swimming waves of a bell and dizzily goes off, growing fainter, not smaller, leaving behind only books that will not be read and fruitless fruits. Feels pretty hopeless, does it not? This could so easily be us when we encounter death in our lives. So what are we to do? What are we to do? How is it that you and I should respond to this reality of death? in our own lives, which is our second question. How should we respond to death? So if we understand what death is, the consequence of our sin, how should we, how should we respond to this reality of death? And I take great encouragement from the words of Moses and our psalm this morning. He writes in verse 10, our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. And Moses here, without question, is being very honest about how long most of us are going to live for. And what is more often than not, the content of those years, struggle and sorrow. Moses has been frank and honest with us. And then take a look at what we read in verses 12 to 13. This is Moses' wholehearted response to the reality of death in his own life. This is Moses' heartfelt prayer. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. So Moses, Moses sees the shadow of death in his own life, but he doesn't focus on it. He presses into God. So yes, death is there, but he presses into God. The difficult reality of death causes Moses to ask God for wisdom and compassion so that he makes the most of this gift of life that has been given to him. In verse 14 through to the end of, of verse 17, have a look at how Moses concludes his prayer. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. So Moses here is asking God that the defining characteristic of his life would not be the reality of his suffering and would not be the, the prospect of his impending death. Instead, Moses prays to God in these verses, God satisfy us, God make us rejoice, God let your work be seen by your servants, God let the favour of you be on us. 
In other words, God, I'm asking that these things would be our focus and not the suffering and death that can so easily dominate our lives. What a challenge for you and I this morning. Surely this is how you and I should respond to death. This was not Moses denying death or even ignoring it. This was Moses understanding death through the lens of Yahweh and all that he was and all that he has done for him. For Moses, death was a comma that preceded a much greater full stop. And the way in which you and I respond to death is ultimately the way in which you and I respond to God and his son. So when we have peace with God, we will be at peace with the, with the reality and the impact of death in our lives. When we are not at peace with God, the reverse will also be true. We will not be at peace with the reality and the impact of death over our lives. It all comes down to our relationship with God and how we understand who God is. This is why we cannot just read a section of Romans 6.23, which is what we did earlier. We need to read the whole text, the whole verse. And this is what Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, it will be up on the screen, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So yes, the wages of sin is death, but also yes, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is why we also cannot just read a part of 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 21 to 22, which again is what we did earlier. We have to read it in its entirety. The Apostle Paul states so clearly for us, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. We need to read both those verses in their entirety. And when we read passages like that in all of our fullness, we find the key to how it is we can respond to death. We can take heart, Denison Baptist Church, death will not be the defining moment of our lives. Let me say that again. Death will not be the defining moment of your life. What Christ has done for us and in us to conquer death is what will define our lives. We work and rest on that foundation day after day. And this is why probably one of the most important passages on death and how it is we should respond to death is 1 Corinthians 15 again in verses 54 to 58. Apostle Paul again says this, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 58, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is a passage we looked at recently in our series in 1 Corinthians. And we can, we can all confidently echo these words as an expression of what God has done for us. We can all say, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Maybe if you walk by a funeral director this week, you can declare that. I'm not asking you to burst in and, and shout that. <laughs> but you can declare, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? From the heart, we all know this to be true. 
if we're in Christ. Uh, one of the first Thanksgiving services I took uh, was when I was at Caldwood, and it was this wee lady, this godly woman, a real character. Uh, funny stories just seemed to follow her life. Um, so I had plenty of content for the Thanksgiving service. She was someone who suffered so much, but she was also someone who didn't let that define her. The promise of God and his grace over her life was what defined her day after day. And all of this, as the only believing member in her family, no one else, her children, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, none of them carried the faith that she had. She was what Paul says in verse 54. She was steadfast. She was immovable. She was always excelling in the Lord's work. And she was that because the resurrection was a real and powerful promise over her life. So much greater than any possibility of suffering, sin and death. And I remember having visited with her on the night she passed away. And Paul and I were in the car and we knew this would be our last night. <clears throat> and as we're driving home, we had this, this real sense of excitement for her. Uh, that way you're excited for someone else because of something they're about to embark upon. So we carried this peace and, a, and this excitement that yes, she was going to pass away that night, but also yes, the much greater yes, death would not have the last word over her life. She was going to openly declare with all that she was, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Because it was no longer her who lived, but Christ who lived in her. And there was nothing more precious, nothing more important than that to her and to so many who knew and loved her. And I don't know if you would carry that same excitement in your own life. Perhaps you don't carry that excitement for a number of reasons. Perhaps God is still working in your life to understand what it means to follow him. Perhaps the main reason you don't have that excitement is that you know in your heart of hearts you have yet to make peace with God in your life. Let me invite you this morning to do that. If you've not made a decision to follow Christ, then do that today because we have no idea when our lives will end. It could be today, it could be tomorrow. Trust God for your life. Trust him for what will happen after you die. And the amazing truth is that Jesus will save you and that won't just be the guarantee of your eternal security. That will also be a transformation of your life today so that you can say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. See, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So I invite you this morning, speak with myself or with TJ or with Paul or someone you know who loves the Lord. If you haven't yet made that decision to follow Christ, then follow him today and we would count it a privilege to talk with you and to pray for you. Perhaps this morning you're finding life difficult. Perhaps you can experience that decay, that trajectory of life that's leading to death. Perhaps you would like prayer for healing. We believe in the God who can and who does heal. Perhaps you would like prayer for a situation in your life. It may even be prayer for wisdom as to what you should do next in your life. Whatever you're facing, do speak with myself or with someone you know who loves the Lord and we would take some time to pray for you this morning. And as we respond in worship, the invitation for each one of us who loves the Lord is to come to this table. And as we take this bread, what are we doing but openly declaring, no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Amen.
So we invite you, if you love the Lord, come to this table, take this bread, drink this cup, remember his sacrifice for each one of us, a sacrifice that gives us life and glorifies our Heavenly Father. This is something that John Piper talks about a lot, but the more and more we are satisfied in Christ, the more and more God is glorified in us. So what a joy for us to be satisfied in Christ by coming to this table and recognizing all that he is and all that he has done for us. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So we take this bread, we drink this cup, we say thank you, Jesus. We say thank you for the resurrection. We say thank you that death is not the defining reality of my life. Your grace is, your love is, your resurrection power is. So we invite you to come to the table and to respond and worship in that way if you, lo if you love the Lord uh, today. Let's pray together as a church family. So Lord, we, we ask that you would satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Lord, we also ask that you would make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Lord, we ask that you would let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Lord, we ask that the favor of, of you would be on us, that you would establish the work of our hands, that you would establish the work of our hands. Help us to respond in these different ways this morning as we've taken time to contemplate your word to us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.